Well, welcome everyone. This is Ben and Cynthia Bailey again, coming at you from our kitchen table. You're joining us um, as we go over The Promised One by Nancy Guthrie. And we wanted to summarize last week as we looked at Luke 24, where Jesus shows how all of scripture points to him. And and so Ben, why is that so important? Why start there? Well, it's important because the Bible is a big book and it's filled with all types of stories and it's really easy to get lost or disoriented or think that it's just kind of this collection of these fables. Um, But when we are reminded that Jesus teaches us that it's ultimately all about him, he's the point, he's the center. And you know, one of the things we say at Trinity over and over that this is God's good world ruined by sin, redeemed by the Son, being recreated by the Holy Spirit. That's the story of the world, and that's the story of the Bible. And keeping um, Jesus at the center helps us uh, kind of navigate, not lose the, the forest because of the trees. It helps us keep the big picture in mind. Okay, so this week we look at Genesis 1. We are looking at the creation story, and so give us a little summary of that. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 through chapter 2, verse 4. And we're not going to read the whole, we're not going to read the whole thing. So this actually would be the most helpful way to engage with it is if you have the chance where you can get your Bible out, you can kind of look at the text, you can follow along, um, you can do that. Don't do that if you're driving. So if you're driving, <laughs> don't pull out your phone and try and read your Bible, and then you get pulled over, and you blame the church and tell the officer, well, I wasn't texting. I was reading my Bible. I don't know if that'll get you off the hook. (laughs) But um, we'll do chapter—I'll just actually read verses 1 and 2 because they set the stage, Mm -hmm. and then we'll highlight some things to really note as you're spend some time studying it. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so there in verse 2, it really sets up, in some ways, the problem that has to be dealt with throughout the entire Bible. I mean, even in the primordial chaos, or there's chaos, this, there's, it's without form and void and the darkness. So there's no form, there's no order, no structure. It's a void. There's no life. There's no vitality. There's nothing there. And then there's darkness. And so that's really going to set the stage for what uh, God has to overcome in the first creation and then what God has to overcome in recreation. And then as you're going through chapter one, chapter one is this beautiful, um, there really is a beautiful rhythmic quality to it. In fact, there's even Old Testament scholarly debate over what type of genre is this. And you can make a pretty compelling case that Genesis 1 is is poetic. It's a song, singing a song about creation. And then Genesis 2 gets into more of the kind of the nitty-gritty uh, mechanics of it. But this is this beautiful rhythmic quality. And uh, you think like in the Chronicles of Narnia. One of the reasons that C.S. Lewis has Aslan and the magician's nephew, he's singing Narnia into existence. It's this beautiful image. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that because there's that beautiful, the rhythmic quality, and God speaks, 
and then God commands, then God sees, and God separates, God names. There's kind of five things that you see God doing, and it could be helpful. Just I take like a little green pen, green for God, mm-hmm. when I see God doing things, and I mark it. And um, you see there's always the announcement, where, and God said. It begins with his word going forth. God brings about his will through his word. He creates with his word. It's always through word. And uh, then there's the commandment, let there be, let there be light, let there be this, let there be. And then there's that beautiful refrain, and then there was. (laughs) So he commands, let there be, and then there was. And wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if you could just command, let there be, and then there was? Like, let there be, (laughs) let there be dinner. And then there was, (laughs) let there be a clean living room. And then there was. Let there be fairy. Let there be fairy. (laughs) And then the next thing is interesting. It always brings separation. His word brings separation. It divides. It divides the day and the night, the waters and the land, the fish and the birds. And what it, at creation, he's establishing boundaries. Mm-hmm. And one of the important things to note is that one of our words for sins is trespasses, trespassing. And God has intentionally established boundaries. And some of the very original sin is crossing boundaries that he's established Mm -hmm. but the boundaries are a part of the created order that's for our good Mm -hmm. and so he he's separating things and then there's this cycle of him uh in days one two and three he names Mm -hmm. and then days four he places and then days five and six he blesses and then there's the evaluation at the end it was good it was good it was good, mm-hmm. except for one thing gets very good, mm-hmm. and that's the Sabbath. And uh, so just look for these different structures and the way it all uh, uh, fits together. And it also is just really neat, as we were talking earlier about the passage, how um, numbers are so significant. And so the amount of times that phrase is said, and God said, is seven times. Mm-hmm. And so that is the number of completion and perfection. And so everything that God said was perfect and was good and it was complete. Well, yeah. it's it's even crazier when you look at like the Hebrew because it's structured around seven paragraphs. And then the seventh day, there's actually seven word sentence for the seven days. So it, it, it is, trying to it's, communicate it's, it's, it is crazy. <laughs> but a couple of things to really note, some kind of applications or things that Um, make this so significant. Notice the structure and how, you know, days one, two, and three, he creates the, in essence, the systems, the structure, the spheres. And then days four, five, and six, he fills them with life, Mm -hmm. places the sun and the moon to bring, he says, to rule the day and night, to bring order, and then places with life. And that's been so helpful for us as we Mm -hmm. just try and think about um, planning the church. And Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) Because in one sense, we kind of feel a sense of like helplessness, like what in the world are we supposed to be doing? Uh, we don't know how to do this. And then so you start thinking, all right, well, how does God, what's the pattern he uses when God brings something into being that didn't exist before? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're trying to do with the church. And so that, that's been so helpful for, mm-hmm. for me, for us, to think through, all right, there's two things that really need. You need day one, two, and three work of creating the systems and the structures. And then you need day four, five, and six work where God is filling it with life. 
Mm-hmm. I've just now thought about it. You also need day seven work <laughs> where you just <laughs> enter into the rest and the delight and the joy. Yeah. But you need both of those things. You need the structures and you, you mm-hmm. need it to be filled with life. And we're, we're constantly in all the things we do and for the church anyway, like with worship and other things, kind of looking at both of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're grateful. We're grateful for people who can really help more structure people. Mm-hmm. And we're, uh, we're grateful for people with more life and reminds mm-hmm. that, you know, have to be filled with spiritual life and relational connection and vitality. Mm-hmm. Another um, thing to really note, and this is something that's always intrigued me, is the pattern is evening and morning. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's almost like the day starts with the evening? And then morning, evening, morning. And uh, Augustine uh, said that that actually is woven into creation is the resurrection pattern. Mm -hmm. It's evening where you go down into, in essence, the darkness, and then you rise to new life in the morning. It is beautiful. That's the that's the baptism pattern woven into creation, where you go down into the in essence the evening of death, and then you rise to new life. Mm-hmm. That that pattern is woven into the fabric of uh, darkness, then light. Darkness and light. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no life without a death. So even in a thousand small ways, like if you want your children to experience life, somebody has to sacrifice and die in some way. Mm-hmm. And if you're a parent, that's going to be you. 10,000 times over and over. But that's the way it is in all, you know, significant things, you know, in life. Anything relational. Anything relational, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's that beautiful pattern. It's woven all throughout creation with a seed. You know, a uh-huh. seed has to die in order for life to spring forth from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also notice, you know, just think, don't, as you're reading through it, don't skip over just the very beginning. In the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. This is where it starts. It's it's God first. It's not in the beginning, Ben, or in the beginning, Cynthia, or in the beginning, you know, Lake Nona, or in the beginning. It's in the beginning, God. He's the subject. He's the foundation. Um, and if we don't begin here, we'll never get life or our life right. This is the this is where it begins. And it's not you know God on the margins. Or on the weekends, God, or when we felt like it, God, or when we had something, when we were sick, God, or when we had a need, God. It's, it's God is first and he is last. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. And it's really only as you go back to the beginning that you can not just learn who he is, but who you are and where you fit into this and get a sense of, of who we are. And all things come from his hand and are sustained by his hand and work well really word. It's it comes from his word mm-hmm. and then it's sustained by his word. Yeah. Just that's such a reminder to me. All things come from him and are sustained by him alone. Uh-huh. And that's one of the powerful things here is that God always creates with his word. Mm-hmm. And that's important for Christians, for a church. A church is a creature of the word. It comes into being by the power of the word. And it's mm-hmm. the word unleashed that brings life. Do you ever watch a Princess Bride as a kid? I loved it. <laughs> really? I wonder how that would... It's one of the... I haven't seen in a long time. I wonder if... But... No, no rhyming. I mean it. <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't know we were getting some. Uh, oh, I got tons of them. Okay. But do you remember when I, 
All right, so when uh, Indigo is drunk and they're trying, the brute squad's trying to like get him out. I don't know if his name's Indigo. What do you mean you don't know? Indigo? Indigo Montoya. Montoya. You killed my father. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know what his name is? I always is? thought it was Indigo Montoya. Indigo? I thought it was Indigo. Like, you know, the line. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll look it up. When we, Hello, uh, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I'm watching it. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask Julio who, if my accent's okay. Uh, well, do you remember whatever his name was? I thought it was Indigo. <laughs> He's drunk. We'll say Indigo. And, uh, for the sake of he's like, I'm not going to try to do the impersonation, but he's like, uh, no, Fezzini told me to go back to the beginning. You want to know who you are? You go back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and even the drunk Indigo has a point that if you really want to know who you are, you have to go back to the beginning. And it's there that you, you know, mm-hmm. you re-enter the garden and you see how life was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You see who it's we reorienting. were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, reorienting. Mm-hmm. Another thing I think is important to see or just feel when you're reading this is Sabbath is the point. So everything is building up to Sabbath, man and woman delighting in God's presence in Sabbath. And uh, there's a lot, you know, you know, I was a philosophy, ma- philosophy major. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds extremely intelligent. <laughs> Fumble through. How I even say it? We, remember, we used to work at Blue Dog, and we had uh, Luke and I were philosophy majors, and then the two other girls, Shannon and Carly, were uh, theater majors. And we used to joke like, "This is what a philosophy and theater major will get you." You're working at a restaurant, and uh, there's a philosophical maxim that says, "What's what's first in intention is last in execution." So the idea is, say we want to plan a trip to Grandma's house, which, you know, the age of our kids we'd never do. Sorry, Grandma, if you're listening, you're going to have to come here. Because if we actually planned a trip, it would be too much work. I mean, it would take 10 days to pack everything. But the whole idea is, all right, what's first in intention, arrive at Grandma's house, would be last in execution. So we'd do all of these things, and then once you finally got there. And so when you're looking at creation, what's first in intention is last in execution. It's it, the Sabbath. The mm-hmm. Sabbath is the intended point. The point is for all of creation to be good and then us to enter into the joy and the presence of the Father. Mm-hmm. That's the intention. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, to, to reorient ourselves to that, remind ourselves of that. And one of the things when we celebrate Sabbath, there's two biblical dynamics of when you're, you're celebrating the Sabbath. It's creation and then redemption. So it's Exodus and it's Genesis. So we remember the Exodus. You remember you were slaves, so you celebrate redemption, and then you remember creation. And part of part of remembering the goodness of creation is, or, or part of it is entering into the goodness, the delight, and um, we even call recreation. I mean, the word is recreation. Because we're taking part in things that we're entering into the goodness. So part of Sabbath is finding the things that you, you delight in and doing them. So this is a very long-winded way of promoting why I need to play more golf. Because <laughs> okay. it's, it's delightful. I'm being recreated. That's my recreation. You can say whatever you want to justify it. <laughs> But the Sabbath was the point in entering into the goodness. Um, I had a couple of things just think through how Christ overcomes the great enemies of darkness, chaos. 
uh, void. I mean, one, just think through darkness. Um, you know, in the beginning, there was darkness. You know, verse 3, there's this shapeless chaos. And when God begins to speak under his, the power of his word, the darkness and the chaos are being dispelled. And there comes order and there comes light. And that's what happens in recreation or creation. But then you start thinking, looking through what happens in judgment. And, for example, look in Exodus 5 through 10. And there's this um, really remarkable parallel in the plagues. When God sends judgment, the plagues on Egypt are actually, it's almost like you're seeing creation in reverse. And so... um, it's, it's like sin is unleashing these forces into the natural world where you see in the plagues, it's the unraveling of creation. It's like now the water is being cursed, the air is being cursed, the land. All, creation is, in essence, unraveling. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important principle to know about sin because, in essence, what sin is, what the, uh, so, so much of the judgment of sin is the natural consequences for violating how God designed you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been designed in such a way, and if you violate that design, you're going to pay the penalty. So, like when God says, You shall have no other gods before me, when we violate that, we actually break down. We are mm-hmm. unleashing the forces of chaos and darkness into, into our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the Ten Commandments are, are they're the kind of thing where if you break them, they'll break you. Mm-hmm. And you see that unraveling in, in the Exodus. And then you take that then to the next kind of one of the next great acts of God's judgment. You look at Christ on the cross. And all of the gospel writers are at pains to show us that everything happens happens in the darkness. This unnatural or almost supernatural uh, darkness that comes over the land. And then Jesus is crying out that, God, you know, why have you forsaken me? It's almost like the plagues are then falling on him. The rod of God's justice is striking them. And they, there on the cross, he, in essence, was uncreated so that we could be recreated. He was unmade so we could be remade. He took the totality of the darkness so we could be brought into the light. What we see in Genesis 1 is a foreshadowing of what we need for recreation. He overcomes the darkness by entering into it. And then the same with the other things. He's the prince of peace that then brings order to the chaos. And then he, you know, it's void. There's no life. And one of the commandments is be fruitful and multiply. And then it's the, by him pouring out his spirit that we then can become truly fruitful and have the fruits of his, the spirit then evidenced and, and, and displayed in our life. All right. So as we wrap up, she really ends in a good place in this Mm -hmm. chapter. She takes you to Revelation 21, where we spent some time this past summer really preaching through, uh, behold, I'm making all things new. And so tell us, kind of read for us just how she wraps up this chapter. Yeah, so on pages 52, 53, and 54, she talks about how Genesis points to what is yet to come. And as Ben just said, in Revelation 21.5, it reads, He who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And she just points out a couple, just, I think, really um, just insightful things about how this earth will be completely recreated and how it will be recognizable 
but purged of every trace of sin and the curse. So all of the, all the ramifications of sin and the breakdown that it causes will be gone in heaven and um, how things will be perfect. And um, the culmination of that is this perfect Sabbath rest, this eternal and perfect Sabbath rest that awaits us in heaven. And I just wanted to read how she um, ends this chapter on page 54. This is what is ahead for us. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10. This will be the seventh day rest that every Sabbath since Eden has pointed towards and has implanted in us a longing for. Finally, like it was in the garden at the beginning, only better, and this time forever. God's people in God's place, enjoying God himself in their midst for all time. Mm. Amen. Amen. That's good. So that's a good place to end. Um, So we will end, and I will go check and find out what his, was it Inigo or Inigo? I think it's Inigo Montoya. We'll see. (laughs) Well, thanks, Ben, for opening that up for us. And blessings on y'all as you study Genesis this week.